0: He has come to the purpose of his letter in this particular chapter. He has spent three chapters discipling them on a conduct that is worthy of the gospel. On what it means to have the humble and obedient mind of Christ. He has spent time discipling them because he wants to strongly encourage two people to reconcile their doctrinal differences and be of the same mind in the Lord. You remember, Yodia and Sintashet. And these two ladies were having some form of doctrinal discussion that led to some kind of dispute that could have brought division in the church. And so he takes the time in chapter 4 to actually address the issue. He's not afraid, he's bold and courageous. But now in chapter 4, Towards the end, we are getting to the second purpose of this letter. He's about to give his expression of gratitude for the financial gift that they sent through Epaphroditus to further his ministry and to meet his needs. Now we have to remember, Paul is in jail. There is no American prison system in the Roman world. You don't get three square meals. You don't get recess. You don't get an opportunity to go to the gym. You don't have the opportunity that you would in our current context. Now, I'm not saying that any of that is necessarily wrong or bad. What I am saying, it just wasn't the opportunity of the Roman world. And if you didn't have someone taking care of you, you simply starved to death while you were in jail. And what Paul is going to do in the next 13 to 14 verses The Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, is also, with this letter of gratitude, this thank you note, is going to provide for us one of the greatest doctrines of our faith. Generous giving. Now I know when you hear that, you think, oh great, I brought a friend for the first time. It's a great doctrine. And I know in our church's history... Not Calvary Chapel, South Bay. But in the global church's history, some have abused this this doctrine and have developed a false doctrine that is known as the faith movement. And in this faith movement, it holds that the more you give, the more you'll get for yourself. And if you just give this ministry 50 dollars, God will give you a 100 dollars, and you can buy your brand now. I don't know why I put on the country accent, please forgive me. <laughs> you can buy your Lamborghini. They have no problem with multi-million-dollar jets. They have no problem with multi-million-dollar homes and multi-million-dollar dogs. They just don't have a problem because the more you give, the more you can have. In fact, there's even a belief that your wealth determines your spiritual status. The more money you have, well, you must be blessed of God. Now, you need to know this is not a new doctrine. You might think it was developed around the 1979, 1980s, but it actually goes all the way back to the first century. You remember. The rich young ruler comes walking in, and he says, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus says, you know the commandments. And he goes, I've done all of them. In other words, what he was saying is, why do you think I'm so wealthy? Because there was a belief that if you chose to be obedient to God, God would bless you with wealth. So we walked into the scene with arrogance, and Jesus attacked the doctrine, and he said to the rich young ruler, "Then sell all you have and give to the poor." Well, the rich young ruler was like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa I, I don't think I want salvation after all," and he walks away. And what I love about Jesus is he doesn't run after him and go, oh, "Did I offend you? I'm sorry." Wait, let me say that a little bit easier for you. Um, why don't you choose once a month to give $30 to Compassion International and then slowly give all of your wealth away? Is that better for you to swallow? It's not what Jesus did. In fact, he let the rich young ruler walk away. Well, Peter, huh, Jesus then announces and he says, it's harder for a rich man to get into heaven than it is for a camel to go through an eye of a an needle. And Peter goes... Well, then who can be saved? Because Peter is thinking this man is wealthy. This man is obviously blessed of God. This man must be so spiritual to have so much money because the faith movement theology was a part of the first century and Jesus attacks the theology. And Paul, he's actually going to attack the theology as well. Because he says in this chapter, he knew how to be abased and he knew how to be hungry. Well, don't tell the faith movement that you have to be hungry because you can give more and more and more and you'll never be hungry again. Isn't that the way of God? No. Because Paul was one of the most spiritual people that ever walked the face of this planet outside of Jesus. And he says, I learned how to be abased, have nothing, and I even learned how to be hungry. Now I know some have abused this doctrine. And so what others have done in the church is, well, they've reacted to the abuse and they've abandoned teaching on anything that has to do with giving. Uh, We're just going to stay away from any kind of conversation that revolves generous giving because maybe people will leave the church. I mean, you don't want to talk about money and you don't want to touch people's pockets because if you do, well, people could get offended. Well, I understand this. I'm a pastor. In fact, it was several years ago I taught a message on tithing. And I went to Costco Gas about three weeks later. And there was a woman from our church, and I hadn't seen her in a few weeks. In fact, I hadn't seen her since the tithing message. She was a very, 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 very wealthy woman. So I walked up to her, and I said, hey, how are you? So great to see you. She went, uh, it's you. I'm not exaggerating one bit. Now, I know you guys think, like, I put some things. I don't, okay? Ugh it's you. And I went, whoa. I thought, okay, beep, beep. (laughs) Go back to your gas. Run, Chet. That was like the sign. She literally got out of her car like a jack-in-the-box. And she goes, I left your church first of all, it's not my church, it's Jesus's. I don't own it. Like, I don't even have a share in it. She goes, I left your church. And I go, oh, okay, did someone hurt you? You hurt me. How did I hurt you? Like, what happened? Oh, you know, that unbiblical message that you taught on tithing. Oh, well, I mean, we're supposed... To. Don't you even bring it up. I mean, it was like unbelievable. And she went like this. I don't want to ever. And she's like charging me. And I'm like, ah, 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 in the Costco gas. It was so loud that the Costco attendant came and thought I was attacking this woman. And she, I'm like, ah, thankfully, Zach rescued me. By the grace of God, okay? By the grace of God, he had left his keys in my truck. So he was driving to Costco to get his keys, sees this woman like coming after me, and he comes running up to me and he just goes, Hey man, how are you? Like, gives me a hug, like, What is going on, dude? I'm like, Save me from Xena. You know. Do you guys know Xena the Warrior Princess? Okay. She was so upset. That I would teach a message, and she actually said, How dare you think you could put your hands in my pocketbook? I didn't even know what to say. And so I understand why some pastors will steer away from this glorious doctrine. But generous giving is the essence of our faith. You see, for God was so generous, for God so loved the world that he gave. In fact, when Paul was discussing the opportunity to generously give. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, you'll see it on the screen. The Bible says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is talking about the giving of the church. He's talking about generous giving. He uses the gospel to describe generous giving. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he be became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Generous giving is the essence of our faith. And it's an area of discipleship for the church. And with it comes an incredible blessing. Listen to what Jesus told the Apostle Paul. It's Acts chapter 20, verse 35. It's more blessed to give than to receive. And if we choose to follow the precept, we will experience the promise of the blessing that Jesus uh, allows for us. So what I want us to do as we dig into Philippians chapter 4, I want us to approach this passage with a heart to embrace this great doctrine of the church and learn the blessing of generous giving. Are you in? Are you in? Okay, I hear this section, but over here, I, I don't know if I'm hearing you, okay? Then I have an amen. amen. Much more spiritual than you guys, okay? <laughs> they were loud. They were clear. <laughs> Someone just shouted amen, okay? <laughs> Philippians, <laughs> Philippians chapter 4, verse 9. Let's pick it up. Philippians chapter 4. We're going to pick it up there in verse 9. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me... These do. Paul's speaking about himself. And the God of peace will be with you. Now, what Paul wants to do in verse 9, he wants to make it clear that what he preaches, he practices. He wants to make that very clear. And they know it to be true because they watched his life. They knew, the Philippians knew, that when Paul was saying this, I mean, they could have proven him wrong at any given point. But They can't prove him wrong because he truly practiced what he preached. Paul set an example for them. You'll see it on the screen. It's Acts chapter 20. We're going to go back there again. Acts chapter 20, verse 34. Now take a look. Acts 20, 34. Paul's writing of himself. He says, I have shown you in every way. Excuse me, I'm going to read verse 34. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my my necessities and for those who were with me. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of our Lord Jesus that he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul says, I'm a hard worker, he made tents, and I'm a generous giver. I'm a, you know my life. I'm a hard worker and I'm a generous giver. Paul gave his whole life. He gave his time. He gave his talent. He gave his treasure. He gave his testimony. Everything about Paul had caught the essence of the gospel, for God so loved the world that he gave, that Paul was willing to give every bit of himself to the Lord, because the Lord gave every bit of himself to Paul. His heart. I need to stop for a moment and describe heart, because people say, I love you with all my heart. Or, like, I, 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 that's in my heart. And we got to understand when people say that, what it means. It means the thing that you want to do, not have to do. And the heart, the thing that Paul wanted to do, was the things of the Lord. And it was evident with the Apostle Paul, the truth found in Matthew 6.21, for where your treasure is, there your heart Will be also. It was evident with Paul's measure of giving, and he is using his life as an example. Listen, you saw the way that I lived, and now I'm getting ready to teach you this incredible doctrine because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So several years ago, I wanted to see where my treasure was. So I took a month to track my treasure. And you know what I found out? I found out that my heart was at Home Depot. I spent more money at Home Depot in the shrine of DeWalt. That yellow and black section of Home Depot. Gentlemen, say amen. Amen. Now, (laughs) did you hear the depth? amen. Now, I don't know if you're a Milwaukee guy or if you're a craftsman. I'm a DeWalt guy, okay? All of my tools are yellow and black, all right? If I got a, a (laughs) amen, (laughs) someone's finally like, yes, I'm into this Bible study, okay? (laughs) Listen, I am a DeWalt guy, and I was looking at my finances going, wow, my heart is at Home Depot. I challenge all of you, 30 days, track your expenses, Maybe your heart is at In-N-Out. <laughs> Someone just got pointed out. <laughs> Maybe your heart is at Macy's. Maybe your. <laughs> All the husbands just went like this. Maybe your heart is. <laughs> I was going to say Dodger games. How dare you touch the Dodgers? Maybe your heart's at Starbucks. Go, Yankees. God bless you. Paul, his heart was obvious. All you had to do was track his expenses, he was giving to the Lord. I'll take a look at verse 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord. Now, that's a key phrase. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Now, stop there for a moment. Let's take a look at this. There are two words, and I want you to write them down. I'm going to give you the first one. There are two words that define biblical generous giving. And the first word is found in this verse. The word is care. The word is care. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care. That word is very important. But I want you to see something before we dissect that word. He says, I greatly rejoiced in the Lord for what the Philippian church had done for the apostle Paul. In other words, what Paul is saying is this. It was the Lord that prompted them to give something to Paul and the church responded to the Spirit's prompting. And Paul knew that. So he's giving glory to God for initiating the heart of generous giving and the Philippian church responding by being generous by the Lord's prompting. You see, the Lord, what he does, because the essence of the gospel is generous giving, what he does is he plants the seed of generosity in our hearts. But in the church in Philippi, it began to flourish. Now, this word flourish, it means it began to flower. The seed was planted, it grew, and it grew into a beautiful flower because God looks at generous giving like a beautiful flower. That's the way he looks at it. And as believers, we as well need to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit with the same doctrine of generous giving. When the Holy Spirit begins to move in our hearts and plant the seed of generosity, do we allow it to grow or do we go, I got rent, I got groceries, do you know the cost of gas? What will we do with the heart of the Lord who begins to plant that seed? And let me tell you something. The Spirit is always planting the seed of generosity in our hearts. Will we allow the seed to fall on good soil and grow and bud in our lives and look beautiful to the Lord as a flower? You see, that's the point. They cared. We need to care about... What God cares about. Now, I want to let you know, God cares about Starbucks. (laughs) He really cares about Home Depot. Someone say amen. He cares about DeWalt, right? It's not that these things God has an issue with. It's do we care about the things that God cares about because he cares about the things that you care about? So much so that he sent his son to die for you to meet your greatest need of salvation. You see, in this, the Lord spurred the church to support the ministry of Paul. Because the Spirit cares about growing their faith. The Spirit cares about when God looks at the faith of the church at Philippi, that He saw this beautiful flower growing, and the Spirit was planting these seeds of generosity because the Spirit was concerned about building their faith. And let me tell you something about this church this church was not a wealthy church. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians. I want to show you this to to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I want you to see this. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to pick it up in verse 1. Now stay with me. I'm going to read all the way to verse 7. This is speaking about the church in Philippi. Listen. Moreover, brethren, Paul is speaking about generosity. And he says this. We make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. He calls generosity a grace. Then a great, listen to the church, This is talking about the church at Philippi that in a great trial of affliction, though the gas prices had soared, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in their riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they, speaking of the church of Philippi, were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. In other words, they were begging to give. And not only as we had hoped... But they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. So we urge Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. This is why later in Philippians chapter 4, he says to them, I know this is a sacrifice. They were giving out of their poverty, not out of their wealth. I'll never forget this. One night uh, in Liberia, we used to have thieves come to our house every night, every single night, okay? We would wake up at 11 o'clock, we would wait for them to come, and then go back to sleep at 4. This was our life for three years in the middle of the war. And so Andre and I would just be sitting in bed waiting for them to come. They would try to break in. I would say, please don't break in. And I would pray for them. And my prayer was, Lord, would you please just have their right or left arms drop off? So one one of them said, literally yelled back at me and said, what kind of missionary are you? And I said, I'm a different kind of missionary. You put your hand in here, you won't be pulling it out. So they literally would have conversations with us. We'd wake up at 11 o'clock and we'd go to sleep at 4 o'clock. This was our life for three and a half, three, almost three years of the war, okay? It was unbelievable. This is how we lived. So much so when we left Liberia, we would wake up by default at 11 o'clock and couldn't go back to sleep till four for about a year. It was just the way that we chose to live. And I have no idea where I was going with this story, but (laughs) no, that's how we lived our life. No, here's what happened. So one night, they broke into our church and stole all of our relief supplies. Everything. Salt, sugar, rice. Everything that we were going to give to people that were in need. So that Sunday, I went to the church. Now, I need to let you know, our church was filled with refugees. They had left their area and come to our area. They had nothing. So I told the church, hey, we're not going to do the trip. Because we lost everything last night. That day, one woman came and she brought a dress and she laid it and she goes, I I want you to take this dress to the people. Then another person came and they brought a little bag of rice and they said, this is all we have, but we want you to take this to them. Then someone brought a bag of sugar. Then someone brought another bag of rice. Then someone brought a thing of oil. Someone brought shoes. They took their shoes off their feet, and they gave us. We filled more bags with relief supplies from that impoverished refugee church than what we bought with American dollars. Paul said, that was the church of Philippi. They had nothing, and out of their poverty they gave. Now go back with me to Philippians, and let's see this. Philippians chapter 4. We're going to pick it up there in verse 11. Philippians chapter 4, now verse 11. Not that I speak in regard to need. In other words, what Paul is making them sure know is I don't have any more need. If you take a look at verse 18, just go down real quickly. He says, indeed, I have all and abound. So Paul is not asking them for more money. This is truly just a thank you note, and I just want to disciple you in the midst of this with generous giving. I want to use this thank you note as an opportunity to say great job and continue what you've started. Besides, Paul knows a very spiritual point. He knows that spiritual generosity must be an internal conviction planted by the Spirit. It can't be, ex- it can't be spurred by an external pressure. It's got to happen within you. That's why Pastor Chuck always used to say of Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa, where God guides, He provides. You see, the Spirit is building the faith in the life of this church, but the Spirit is also building faith in the Apostle Paul. Take a look what he says as we continue. For I have learned in whatever state I am, read this with me, to be content. The Spirit was doing something in the church, but the Spirit was doing something in Paul. He was teaching Paul contentment. Now, this word contentment, it means to be self-sufficient. It means that everything you need is contained in yourself. Now, you might be going, wait, what is Paul trying to get across? I'm going to tell you what he's getting across. He takes this word and he makes it spiritual. And he's getting across the point that he's learned to be completely satisfied because Christ is within him. He introduced us to this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. Go back there with me and you'll see it. Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. He's already prepped us for this spiritual point. He says, yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things, and I actually count them as rubbish or trash, that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through. Faith in Christ. Listen to what Paul says. I got Jesus. I got Jesus within me, and a relationship with him is more important to me than anything else in this world. I have learned to be content because I've got a relationship with Jesus, and he is within me. And greater is he that is in me than he or anything that is in this world. That's what Paul says. But listen to this. Paul had to learn this. He had to learn this. And so do we. Contentment isn't something that you wake up, you take a pill one night, you wake up in the morning, you go, I'm content. It just doesn't work like that. Because we like stuff. We like stuff. We like bins of stuff. We like to have garages of stuff. We like to have storage places of stuff. We will even rent something to store our stuff. We like stuff. We love stuff. We just can't throw it away. And when we buy it, we don't know why we bought it, but we like it. And then we'll come home and we'll tell our wives, well, it was on sale. It was on sale. You see, Paul had to learn contentment, and so do we. And he learned it through life's circumstances that God provided for him. He said, I learned it. Would you take a look? We're going to pick it up now. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. You see, sometimes in his life, God allowed him to be hungry would Christ be sufficient for you? Sometimes he allowed him to be very wealthy, like when he was on the island of Crete and he was able to stay in the palace. It was like, whoa, this is great. I'm eating steak and potatoes. Is Christ enough? You see, I go to Liberia once a year for a reason. And I go and I sleep on the dirt floor to remind myself, have you grown? So much in faith that you can no longer do this. And I'm so proud of our team that's headed out. Because what's going to happen when they go to another country? They're going to come back and, how grateful I am. And we're going to meet them with an in and out burger. And we're going to say, welcome back to the United States of America. And you're like, kiss the ground. I'm back from another place. But are we learning contentment? You see, God will use the very situations of our life to give us very spiritual lessons, And I want to point us something out here. You see, in verse 11, he says, I've learned to be content. Now, that word learned, it means I have learned it because I experienced it. I sat in the class, the teacher taught two plus two, and I learned the knowledge because I experienced two apples plus two apples equals four apples. I saw the most hilarious YouTube the other day, and it was this little kid, and he goes, and the the teacher goes, Sally has five pennies, and Jade has two pennies, and Sally took one penny away from Jade. How many pennies does Jade have? And the little kid went, Jade broke. (laughs) I thought it was great. Now listen, verse 12, would you take a look? Verse 12, the Bible says, I know how to be based, I know to abound, everywhere in all things I have learned. Now in our English language, that appears to be the same word, but it's not. It's a different word. You see, this word was used by the mystics. Yeah, Paul's grabbing from this secular understanding to help us understand a spiritual. He's redeeming a word just like we redeem October 31st. We're not celebrating Halloween. We're going to bring people here for Harvest Fest to use the day because this is the day that the Lord has made, and we're going to rejoice and be glad in it. So we're going to use the day for the gospel. So what Paul is doing, he's taking this word, and he's redeeming this word, and he's saying, this word actually means the mystics, when they were in their first century mystical world, they were describing using this word to describe like a special secret that they had learned in their mystical faith. And they couldn't tell anybody. But Paul says, I have learned a secret of our faith. Take a look if you would. Here's the secret. It's not so secret. Philippians chapter 4, he says this. I can do, verse 13, all things through Christ who strengthens me. There is the secret of contentment. Christ is enough for me. In my trials, in my triumphs, God's word will come alive. I will learn in my trials the fellowship of the suffering. I will learn in my triumphs that our faith is the victory. My life will be a living parable to prove to me the secrets of our faith that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now let this secret of faith dig into your own trial or triumph right now. And maybe you will learn Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not On your own understanding. In other words, I know the way that you feel about this. Can you trust God through it? Paul says, yes, you can. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You might be thinking, I can't believe I'm going through this experience. And why, Lord, would you allow me to have this family problem or this work issue? You know what the Bible says? That he won't give you anything more than what you can handle. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. You see, you might think I'm not able to handle it, but God in heaven is going, I wouldn't have given it to you if I didn't think you could handle it. So that verse is a cheerleading verse to you. Go, Chet, you're my man. If you can't do it, no one can. Go, Chet, that's God in heaven. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know where that came from. <laughs> I'm actually embarrassed of myself. And you, like the Apostle Paul, you might be hard-pressed on every side, but you are not crushed. And I'll tell you why. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Now Take a look at verse 14. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. There's our second word. I told you there were two. The first word is care. You've got to care what God cares about. If you want to be a generous giver, you've got to start caring about what God cares about. But the second word is the word share. Being a generous giver means that we share. He says, nevertheless, you've done well that you shared in my distress. Now, this word, it means to participate with someone in something. The idea is, now there's a few things we're going to talk about with the word share. The the idea here is that God provides for us in order that we provide for others. Now keep that in mind. God gives to us so that we can give to others. Now that's an important part of generous giving and the idea of share. Once again, Paul introduced us to this concept back in chapter 2. Go with me to chapter 2. Chapter 2, look at verse 3. Paul was a mastermind in introducing this gospel, in in this doctrine. He said in verse 3 of chapter 2, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Truth is, we got a problem with share. You know you do. We've been adverse to sharing since we were children. How many times did your bro- your mother or father say to you you have to share? We got 9 kids. Okay. Sharing was our biggest per- parental issue. Okay? And when I was younger it's like you got to share the Lego. Now it's like could you just share the blouse? I mean like I mean she's your older sister, just let her share. But the problem is we all start with the concept this is mine. And when my kids would argue about not sharing, you know what I was thinking in the back of my mind is the dad? I bought it. Like it actually belongs to me. You are borrowing it from me. It's not yours in the first place. Like you don't own it. I bought it. It's mine. I'm the dad. Now this is a very important faithful principle. Jesus paid for everything on the cross. Everything we own, everything we possess belongs to God. He's our Father. He bought it and He's giving it to us so that we can be good stewards. So if you're living in the this is mine, it's antithetical to the gospel which is God so loved that He gave. You see, giving is the essence of being a steward. But if you are selfish and you want to keep everything for you, that is not the essence of the gospel. We are simply stewards of the things that have been provided for us. We can't live in the mind. We've got to live in the give. This is why Paul, he, he commends them. Take a look at verse 15. Nevertheless, you have... 14, I'm sorry. You have done well. This church fought the mine. They fought the, this money belongs to me. And they had gotten to the point where they were willing to give. It's why every week, you hear us on Sunday morning, thank Calvary Chapel South Bay for your generosity. Because Paul did. Paul said you have done well you've done well church and thinking thanking the church for their response to biblical generosity is actually biblical they were sharing, and Paul is commending. Now, I'm not standing up and going, hey, I want to thank Brother Larry because he gave $100 this week. That would be letting your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That is not the gospel. I went to a church one time, and the pastor stood up and goes, it's offering time. And the whole church, I didn't know this was about to happen, the whole church went, "woohoo!" and stood up. The next thing you know, they were licking $100 bills, putting it on their foreheads and dancing to the front, waving the $100 and putting it out there. Can you imagine if we did that here? I would hope you would leave. Because we're not supposed to let our left hand know what our right hand is doing. Paul is commending the whole church, not an individual. And he's saying, job well done. You fought the mine mentality and you are in the share mentality. He's commending the church because they are advancing the kingdom of God. Now here's the truth. The old saying is true in regard to generous giving. Sharing is caring. Sharing is caring, but I need you to note the I-N-G. Sharing is caring. He says this in verse 14, nevertheless, you've done well, he commends them, you shared in my distress. How many of you have seen those pictures? And it's the emaciated kid, and there's like a fly flying around him, and the person goes, you can support this child for $30 a month. How many of you have seen someone get on and it's late night television and it's an infomercial and they're, they've got this old person and they're dying of hunger. If you will just give $30. And something happens in your heart. Like, I got 30 bucks, I can do this. That's exactly what they did with Paul. He was in the place of distress and he goes, you helped me. But sharing is not a one Time event when your heart is just moved because you're touched by this child that's hungry. Look what else they do. Take a look. Now, you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, so on my first mission trip, when I departed from Macedonia, so when I left you, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again. For my necessities. This church had not just given in distress. This church kept on giving because sharing is continually caring about the work of God to advance his kingdom. I'm going to say that one t- more time. It's not just the distressed moment. Sharing is continually caring about the work of God to advance his kingdom. The church in Philippi gave in his distress and then they gave on his mission trip and then they gave when he was in Thessalonica and then they gave to him again. They kept giving because that's the definition of sharing. Now, what must be noted is something that you can't miss. He says this, Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. Excuse me? How many churches did Paul plant? How many churches did Paul invest into? How many lives? And this was the only church out of all the churches that Paul established, the the ones that were giving to the ministry? I'm actually bothered. Are you serious? Do you know Derby, what he did for you? Lystra, he got stoned? Do you have any idea he was lowered from a basket, Jerusalem? Wait a second. The Philippian church was the only church? Unfortunately, it's true of the Church of the United States of America as well. Do you know that statistically 10% of the church supports 100% of the work? 10% of the church supports 100% of the work. Now imagine if the church absorbed this doctrine of generous giving Think of the churches that could be planted. The missionaries that could be sent. The people that could be ministered to. We could take over every social welfare program in L.A. Think of the opportunity if the church took seriously generous giving. But unfortunately, in the Church of the United States of America, well, I had a guy walk up to me one time. And this is what he said to me. You know, pastor, when I come to church, I give. Great. How often do you come to church? About twice a year. (laughs) Praise the Lord, brother. I'm wondering why I'm having this conversation with him. And he said to me, he goes, yep. I put 10 bucks in that tithe bucket every single time I come to church. God bless you. And then he said this. He goes, I feel church is like going to a movie. I pay for the movie. I should pay for church. And if I feel like there's a good, uh, you got a good message, I might give you 12 bucks. What do you do with that? I just looked at him and I said, God bless you. God bless you. You see, unfortunately, the church has not grabbed the truth of this incredible doctrine. In Philippians chapter 4, would you take a look at verse 17? Not that I seek the gift. He's saying once again, I'm not trying to get more money from you. Remember, he's, already, he's going to say, I'm full. But I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Paul makes it clear that he's not seeking more, for, more uh, uh, money. He's trying to prove a point. And here's the point. Sharing actually secures your future. It doesn't diminish it. Sharing yourself in generous giving actually secures your future. We have got to fight the tendency of thinking that if we share, it actually diminishes what we have. That's not the way a citizen of heaven thinks. And Paul is trying to help us have the mind of Christ. Sharing actually secures your future in God's kingdom. Take a look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. Here is the promise. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. You see, the fruit that abounds to your account is the fact that you can't outgive God. He, you might be thinking, taking out of my checking account for the sake of the kingdom is diminishing my account. It's actually making a deposit into your future. This is the heart of generous giving. In Malachi chapter 3, would you turn there with me? Malachi chapter 3, listen to what God Almighty says. In Malachi chapter 3, God says, will a man rob God? Yet you've robbed me. But you say, in what way have you robbed me? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you've robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing, that there will not be room enough to receive it. This is one of the only times that God says, try me. Try me. Your generosity actually is securing your future. I had a friend of mine. He was a supermodel, and he had an accountant. And he had given all of his receipts, and he would made a lot of money in Germany, and he had decided that he was going to give some to God. So his accountant called him. He's not a believer. And he said, hey, I'm doing your accounting, and I'd just like to know, what's a tiff." He goes, is that a company? Is that like... Because you've given a lot to this tith, and I'd like to know what a tith is. And my friend had any idea, like, what he was talking about. And he goes, well, how do you spell it? He goes, T-I-T-H-E. Oh, tithe. Oh, yeah, 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 tithe. What is a tithe? I, I don't know what that is, because you, you've given a lot to this whole tithe thing. He goes, oh, that's what I give to God. And the count goes, well, do you know where God lives? Like, I mean, <laughs> like, do you mail it to him? Like... You know, I don't understand this. And he began to explain to him and say to him, when Jesus showed up on the road to Damascus and he said, why are you persecuting me? He was saying, the church is God's representation. We're his ambassadors. So I give to my church so that I am able to watch God do his work. The accountant goes, are you serious? You give a tithe to God? See, the world doesn't understand generosity. They understand tipping, but they don't understand tithing. <laughs> but the church understands generosity. So take a look. Go back with me to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. We'll, we'll pick it up in verse 18. It says, not that I seek the gift. Look at verse 18. Indeed, I have all and abound. I'm full having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. See, the last thing about sharing is this sharing does involve making a sacrifice, sharing does involve making a sacrifice. And I've been amazed over the years how people shy away from making a sacrifice. I had a man tell me one time about tithing, tithing. He told me, well, God wants us to be a cheerful giver, and I'm not very cheerful today, so I'm not giving. (laughs) So my response to him was, if I were you, choose to be obedient and ask God to change your bad attitude. You see, while we're called to be a cheerful giver, we shouldn't use it as an excuse not to give. we should be—we got to be careful that we don't turn Scripture around to give us an excuse not to make a sacrifice. Now listen, I know what a sac- sacrifice is. A sacrifice is the loss of something for the sake of another and for Christians, for the sake of Christ. But did not Jesus set an example? By sacrificing his life on the cross, giving us the fullness of what generous giving actually looks like. And ask an athlete who sacrifices chocolate cake or who sacrifices some sleep or who sacrifices a little bit of pain. They're sacrificing because they want to win the gold. You see, there's a blessing in store for the people of God when we choose to be a generous giver and share. And what I want to do is share that blessing with you. It's our last area of Scripture. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Here's the blessing. Now, Paul says, talking about Generosity. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Now concerning ministering to the saints, it's superfluous for me to write to you. There's the blessing. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Remember what I told you. The blessing is you get to minister to the saints. What a blessing. You get to see Rudy's life changed. The video testimony. What a blessing. Take a look. For I know your willingness, about which I boast of you to the Macedonians, that acacia was ready a year ago, and your zeal has stirred up the majority. Yet... I have sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this respect, that, as I said, you may be ready, lest if some Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, should be ashamed of this confident boasting. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation here here's what the bible's saying god knows it's sometimes we need to be spurred to give so paul goes i'm sending people ahead i'm spurring you to be generous he knows that sometimes we've got to be spurred to give take a look at verse six but this i say he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully so let each one give his purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work, as it is written. Stop there for a moment. God will pour out. here's the blessing. God will pour his blessing out on you so that you can be a blessing to others. He will give you everything that you need so that the work of God can continue. That's the blessing. That's why we did a youth camp this year. It's why we did a kids camp. It's why we did a men's retreat. It's why we did a vacation Bible school. Supported a pastor's conference in Oaxaca. Supported a pastor's conference in El Salvador. Built a house for a poorer person in El Salvador. It's why we sing every song. It's why we can preach a sermon. It's why we are are able to pray over people and watch change lives. We've been blessed to be a blessing. Take a look at verse 9. The biggest blessing. As it is written, he is dispersed abroad. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. One of the greatest blessings that we get is that when we're a generous giver, we look a lot like our Lord. We look a lot like our Lord. Our righteousness, our righteous acts begin to start looking like Jesus as we are generous givers. Now take a look at verse 10. Now... May he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for the food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness while you are enriched in everything for all liberality which causes thanksgiving through us to God. God has given it to us so that we will be a good stewards a good stewards of what God provided for the kingdom's sake. He's given us these things so that we can be a blessing, so that we can be responsible. He's bountifully given us these things. Now, here's one of the greatest blessings, and here's where we close. Would you take a look at verse 12? For the administration of this service not only supplies the need of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God, While through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men and by their prayer for you who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. One of the greatest blessings that we have in generous giving is God is glorified. Close up with me in Philippians 4. Go back there with me. I will need you to see it because this is exactly how Paul closes. Look at Philippians 4.20. Speaking about generous giving, now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. And amen. Greet every cent in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, but especially those who are Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Do you know what amen means? Amen Amen means you agree. Does our lives reflect the amen? The greatest blessing we receive in generous giving, our God is glorified. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Amen? Amen? Would you stand with me? Now, for those of you that have brought a friend, welcome. (laughs) Philippians is over, and guess what? We are heading into the book of Zechariah next week, talking about end times. And so, excited to be with you next week. (laughs) Um, We love end times, don't we? You know why? Because we're living in them. So we're going to worship the Lord. I'll meet you out in the lobby. I can't wait to see you on Sunday. Let's be generous givers in our time, our talents, and our treasures and glorify God to receive the greatest blessing of watching him glorified. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.